Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. All right, church. Great to see you. Great to be with you this Sunday. And thanks for joining online as we continue together in our gatherings and in God's Word. And today we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at one verse, uh, the husband passage in the larger marriage passage in 1 Peter 3, verse 1 through 7. So we'll read actually all seven of those verses, but our focus is going to be on verse 7 today and the husbands. And as I mentioned last week, you can text in or direct message questions about marriage, about this passage, uh, to us here at the church, and at the end of the three-week series that we're going to do um, from this passage, one on wives, one on husbands today, and next week on dating as Christians, uh, Christina and I are going to then sit down and try to answer your questions, and we'll release those to you online. Before we get into the Word, I also wanted to say to you, please get into a life group, whether digital or in-person It's so important for us to be in Christian fellowship. What a great season and opportunity we have in front of us. All right, let's read the passage together. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, we looked at that whole passage last Sunday, so if you'd like to go backwards and listen to that teaching, if you missed it, I'd encourage you to do so. But our text today, verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, the theme of the passage that we've been studying for the last three weeks inside of 1 Peter is submission. First, Peter taught Christian citizens to submit to the governing authorities. Then he told Christian servants to submit to their masters. And finally, he instructed, as we just read today, Christian wives to submit to their own husbands. Each passage was and is today very challenging But each also represents the heart and mind and example of Christ who laid down his life without returning hostility for hostility. Now today, though Peter doesn't tell Christian husbands to submit to anyone, he begins his instruction to them with the word likewise in verse 7. This connective word helps us remember that every Christian is meant to submit. Every believer is meant to be submissive to someone. Even though these believing husbands were not told to submit to their wives, they are told to submit to God. Exile husbands must be men who follow God no matter what. 
And part of a husband's submission to God is submission to the role God has designed for him. This means Christian husbands should look different from today's husbands or society's husbands. So today we have to ask the question, what does God want for husbands? If wives should submit to their husband's lead, what should his leadership look like? How can an exile husband lead well? Well, today let's look at three things, starting with number one, an exile husband should live with his wife in an understanding way. He should live with his wife in an understanding way. Look at the first part of verse seven again. He said, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, I think the church has often dabbled in stereotypes when it comes to the differences between men and women. Not every man is a belching, sports-loving Homer Simpson. Nor is every woman into needlepoint and potpourri. Men can be poets and musicians. They can be kind and sensitive. They can be good conversationalists. Women can be active or athletic, handy and hardworking, decisive and strong. Still, it should be obvious that there are some major general differences between the sexes. And because of this, many men have become intimidated by Peter's instruction. He said, married Christian men must live with their wives in an understanding way. Immediately, many men wonder, how will I ever understand a woman? How will I ever understand my wife? Some translations even pick up on this apprehension by instead saying that husbands should be considerate of their wives. But the idea of the word that Peter used concerns gaining knowledge, learning. Marriage is to be a place of learning. And for exile husbands, Christian husbands, it's time to go to school. Now let me give you two words of comfort before giving you some instruction. First, Peter didn't say that a Christian husband has to understand all women, just that he has to try to understand one woman, his bride. The rest of the female population can be a complete and total mystery. Second, as I heard one woman wisely advise, even if you don't understand your wife, you can still be understanding toward your wife. With gentleness, patience, and kindness, you can make space for her to safely become known and understood. If you're a Christ-following husband who wants to submit to God's leadership of your life, you will seek to understand your wife's feelings, perspectives, priorities, needs, dreams, fears, and hopes. You will work hard to understand your bride. So let's think about some ways that a husband can live with his wife in an understanding way. First, he can devote time and energy to the task. One of the myths of our modern time is that a good marriage shouldn't take any work. And no one really says this directly, but it's implied by people who say that what they're looking around for is someone who's compatible to them, who will leave them as they are, who will not seek to change them. Uh, good luck with that. We're too different, we're too broken, we're too sinful not to require change 
after getting married. Marriage takes work, and work takes time. One of the best decisions that Christina and I ever made was in our early marriage where we decided to have a weekly date night. It was during those times together and is during those times together that I can ask questions and perpetually get to know my wife. A man cannot possibly understand his wife without devoting time and energy to the task. The second thing I want you to think about with understanding or learning to understand your wife is that you must study scripture, especially about biblical marriage. At a recent family movie night, my daughter's elected to watch Napoleon Dynamite, to my joy and surprise, one of my all-time favorites. In one of its most iconic scenes, the protagonist is discouraged because he doesn't have any good skills and, quote, girls only want boyfriends who have great skills. When asked what he means, he says, nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills, computer hacking skills. Well, the Christian husband He should want some marriage skills. And we can grow in these skills by looking into the word of God. You're meant to understand your bride. The Bible says a lot about her design, your design, and his will for both you and her together. And there are so many great books and Bible studies that can help the Christian man grow in his marital skills. Just yesterday at our marriage conference, many books were suggested by our pastoral team, and I'd encourage you to get online, find those resources, and read them. Another thing you can do is ask open-ended questions. Some women are naturally expressive and don't need a lot of prompting, but other women must be drawn out. Either way, a husband can learn a lot about his wife by asking her questions. These questions must be sincere. They cannot be mechanical. You have to be all in when you ask that question. You've got to listen. Wait for her response. Do what you can to get her talking and sharing her heart. Fourthly, you can learn about her personality. There's a lot of modern personality profile systems that people like to use, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, all of that. And all of these systems offer free tests online, and they could be a great way to get your wife to begin talking and explaining who she is and what drives her internally. It could be a great way to spark dialogue about what she's like. Fifthly, tell her what you think you're hearing. By repeating what you think she said or meant, you can find out if you're growing in your understanding. And I've been amazed how many times I've thought I understood what Christina meant only to find that we were worlds apart when I told her what I heard. Digesting your wife's words out loud can help correct those mistakes. I'd also say that it's important for a husband to take a humble posture. If a husband approaches his wife with pride, he'll inevitably think that his thoughts and ways are superior to hers. And as long as a guy thinks that his wife's thoughts and ways are inferior to his own, he will never understand her well. One wise husband told me that he tries to believe his wife is right until she's proven wrong. Since we're designed to complement each other, a wife's perspective often won't make immediate sense to the husband. It sometimes will even seem to have nothing to do with the issue at hand. But through careful listening and question asking with humility, you can grow in wisdom once you understand her perspective. And again, all this takes 
a humble posture. And finally, another way that you can grow in your understanding of your wife is to be safe and approachable. Revealing yourself to someone can be intimidating. Husbands can encourage their wives to vulnerably share who they are with them by providing a safe and approachable environment. If a man responds to his wife with hostility, anger, or argument, it will become harder for her to open up to him. We could list a lot more ways that a husband could grow in understanding of his wife, but we've got to move on in the passage. But before we do, do, I should point out something obvious to you. The knowledge that a husband gains, it has to be applied. It's not enough to just know these things about your wife. You've got to actually apply them in life. It's one thing to learn about her, but Peter wants us to live with her according to that knowledge. We must apply it. Okay, a second thing I want you to see, though, is that a Christian husband must also honor his wife as the weaker vessel. He must honor his wife as the weaker vessel. That's what Peter says also also there in verse 7 when he says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So how does this happen? Before thinking about what it means to honor the woman, we have to define what Peter meant by weaker vessel, don't you think? Well, the second word is actually easier to define than the first. A a vessel is a household utensil used for containing liquids or foods. The idea of human beings as vessels is actually not alien to Scripture. It's pretty common. Every believer is an instrument in God's house, a vessel for God's use. So in Scripture, men are vessels and women are vessels. God's people are vessels in God's household. But Peter says that the wife is a weaker vessel than her husband. He doesn't say how she's a weaker vessel, so many people have speculated about his meaning. And as you might expect or imagine, many interpreters have run off into wild or inappropriate directions, sometimes portraying women as hysterical creatures without any control of their emotions, people who aren't capable of the real rigors of life. And to that I say, please. Some of these more outlandish interpretations have caused some people to think that all Peter is saying is that the husband has physical strength that is superior to his wife. And generally, especially in societies where men regularly engage in physical labor and chores from a young age instead of video games, they are stronger than women. It's just kind of a fact of biology. But I don't think that Peter is telling husbands to honor their wives because they're physically stronger than their wives. Within the context of the section, the weakness Peter is thinking of consists of two elements. First, Peter has just finished talking to citizens who are subjects of the government, slaves who are subject to their masters, and wives whom he told to submit to their husbands. These wives, in other words, were in a position of weakness, not a position of power. And the husbands needed to understand this without abusing it. Secondly, 
brutish or brutal husbands might use their position and even their physical strength against their wives. Peter thinks this should never be so in the Christian home. So it seems safe to say that the weaker vessel is the person who is most vulnerable in the relationship, the one who must follow the lead of the other. Christian husbands should realize their responsibility towards their wives and the absolute havoc and pain they could cause them. Your leadership, if you're a husband, should build up, defend, and provide a place of safety for your bride. I'm not saying that you need to become an alpha male, get a gun, and start MMA training, but your leadership should acknowledge that it's hard to be a wife, hard to follow someone else's lead, and hard to trust where that person is going. Be the kind of man that is easy and safe to follow. Let me say two more things about the emphasis behind weaker vessel. First, Peter didn't say that the woman was a weak vessel, but the weaker vessel. Weaker than what? Than whom? Something is only weaker when compared to something else. Two really strong men uh, could be lifting weights together, but one will be weaker than the other. Not necessarily weak, but weaker. Conversely, two really weak preteen boys could also be lifting weights together. And one will be stronger than the other. Not necessarily strong, but stronger. This makes me, when I think about it, want to be as strong of a man as I possibly can for my bride. She is the weaker vessel, but not necessarily weak. I want to lead her and set a tone of gracious strength, courage, faith, and boldness the kind that God can supply to us both. Secondly, especially for those of you still struggling with the concept of weaker vessel, I want you to remember Paul's, or excuse me, Peter's analogy. The wife is the weaker vessel. There are different vessels in a household, and each has a different usage and durability. Tupperware is more durable than, a, than fine plateware. Wine glasses are weaker than Yeti water bottles. Each, though, serves its purpose. In the household analogy that Peter used, neither vessel is better than the other, but each serves its purpose. In a similar way, the husband and wife have a different design from God, but each have been made to serve their purpose. You know, in our home, there's a reason that Christina was the primary potty trainer and that I'm the primary driving instructor. We're trying to complement one another, as well as spread out the stresses of parenthood. Now, it's clear that Peter didn't think of the wives in a derogatory way when he said that they were the weaker vessels, because he said that the husband should honor her in response to that truth. There are societies and religions where women are truly seen as second-class citizens, and the last thing that men do in those societies is honor the women. If a man thinks of his wife as less than himself, he will never honor his wife. But when the knowledge she's a weaker vessel merely means that she is different from him and in the most vulnerable position in the relationship, he will honor her for who she is 
and the position that she holds. You know, in our marriage, Christina and I have joined together to fulfill the mission that God has given us. And much of that mission involves the work of the church, work that I'm very much involved with. But Christina caught a vision early on about her importance. She became convinced that I couldn't do what I do without her support. And I realized fully that in a sense, she has adopted the second position. In a very real way, you are all recipients of her faithful ministry and support and love towards me. She and every bride who follows their husband's lead is worthy of honor. And a believing husband should work hard to honor his bride. Uh, one way to do this is to avoid a tyrannical method of leadership. You, you want to be kind, be compassionate, be soft or softer, be less brutally direct, but say things with tenderness and care. Listen, move slowly, communicate, move through life together. Get her insight and wisdom. Let her speak into your life. She's got great insights into who you are, what you're called to, and how to take life to the next level. And of course, honor her by keeping appropriate boundaries with other women or images of other women. And I might also add, apologize a lot. These are ways to honor your bride. But let's look at one last thing today. Number three, an exile husband must live as a co-heir with his wife of the grace of life. Live as co-heirs with your wife, co-heirs of the grace of life. He says there at the end of verse seven, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. This statement from Peter only backs up the idea that he does not think of wives in a derogatory way. Unlike some religions, female Jesus followers are co-heirs of the grace of life. Now, sometimes we speak of the church as a family. It's actually one of the analogies that the New Testament uses to describe the church. Uh, we think of the church as a flock or a building or a body or a bride, but also a family. This is why in some old-timey churches, everyone refers to everyone as brother this or sister so-and-so. Well, what Peter is highlighting for the husbands is that your wife is your sister in Christ. So though, though the wives are the weaker vessel, and though the husbands have greater authority in the marriage, Peter makes it clear that wife and husband are equals before God. Eternally, they are co-heirs before God. Both the husband and wife needed the atoning and cleansing blood of Christ. Both had to place their faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. And both will receive the inheritance reserved for Christ one day. I think this presents an implied challenge to every Christian husband. What do I mean? Well, Peter makes it clear that one day your wife, if she's a Christian, will inherit, experience, everlasting life with you. She will be in heaven, in glory. On that day, 
you will no longer be in a position of authority in her life. She will report directly to God. So the challenge is simple. Lead your wife now in a way that leads to as little change as possible when she's in glory. Lead your wife now in a way that leads to as little change as possible when she's in glory. You see, right now, the son follows the father, submits to the father. You, a Christian husband, are called to follow the son. And she, your wife, is called to follow you. When you, one day in glory, when you, the middleman, are removed, I pray that your wife is not at all shocked when she begins to report directly, in a sense, to God. You see, if you refuse to lead right now, your wife will be tempted to disobey God and do her own thing without you. If you lead abusively, she will be tempted to hate your leadership. In either case, the transition to glory, where she's reporting directly to God without you, will be a total shock. But if you lead well, she might love your leadership because it feels like God's leadership, God leading through you. And when she gets to glory, when she gets to heaven, it won't feel all that different, except now the middleman, you, is gone. Now Peter concludes by saying that there's a reason that Christian husbands should understand and honor their wives, a reason that they should treat them as co-heirs before Christ. If they don't, he says in verse 7, their prayers will be hindered. What a frightening thought. Now it's unfortunate that some husbands really won't care about their prayers being blocked or ineffective or dysfunctional. Some Christian men who name the name of Christ at least never pray. But Peter is assuming that Christian men would care when their prayer lives aren't working. And I agree with him. Born again, Christian, gospel men want to be close with God. The last thing we would want is hindered prayers. And I suspect there's a supernatural and natural reason behind the hindrance that Peter warns about. First, the supernatural reason. God is involved. When a man is walking in sin, he's walking in darkness. And that's not where God is. Though the blood of Christ brings us from darkness into light, we have a choice where we walk. John said in 1 John 1 verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So God will hinder the prayers of husbands who walk in darkness by dishonoring their wives. But there's a natural reason for this hindrance of prayers as well. Many think that Peter is alluding not to the prayers a husband prays alone, but to the prayers that a husband and wife pray together. And two people cannot pray together effectively when they aren't in agreement. For my part, I've been to a lot of prayer meetings in my lifetime, and I've been to plenty of prayer meetings where I could not agree with the requests and aims of the people or some of the people in attendance. Our prayers in that moment were hindered 
because we weren't all on the same page. So when a husband doesn't understand his wife and doesn't honor his wife, it will show up if he tries to pray with her. He won't know how to pray for her because he hasn't understood her. He won't know how to pray with her because they aren't aiming for the same things in life. And she won't feel safe praying with him because he hasn't honored her as the weaker vessel. And she probably won't feel safe praying for him because she'd be nervous about what she would ask God to do in her husband's life right in front of her husband. In a sense, when a Christian husband and wife cannot easily fellowship about God or pray together to God, it's an early indicator of problems throughout the marriage. It's like the canary in the coal mine. If it stops singing, miners knew that they were running out of oxygen and needed to get out of the coal mine. And when a married couple's spiritual life before God starts drying up, when the prayers are hindered, it's an early warning sign that something needs fixing. The couple that prays together stays together, they say. But Peter says that the couple that cannot pray together has some issues that must be fixed. Think about it. Prayer with your spouse, it should be a microcosm of your whole life together. When Christina and I pray together, we ask God for similar things for our lives. Marriage, children, friendships, and church. We have regularly communicated about all of these things. So nothing shocks us when we get into prayer. I don't sit there in prayer racking my brain. What's going on with her? What in the world should I pray for her about? What are her hopes and fears? What does she want out of life? How are her friendships and family relationships doing? How does she feel the kids are doing right now? Who is she discipling? No, I don't have to ask any of those questions in that moment. I know the answers to those questions. And she knows the same about me. So we can pray effectively. Our prayers are not hindered. By the way, I would urge married couples to pray together. Christina and I prefer protecting one small slot each week where we can together lift up our concerns to God. But whether you have a prayer meeting each week like we do, or pray each night before you go to bed, or whatever, pray together. Marriage is meant to lead to intimacy, and there's a sense in which praying together is the closest that you can be to another person. So pray together. In closing, let me say this. Husbands are leading their marriages no matter what. It might be haphazard leadership. It might be neglectful leadership. It might be good and holy leadership. But men are important in this world and are important to their marriages and it's important for us to lead as God would have us. Let's receive his grace, and if called to marriage, be the husbands he has redeemed us to become. God bless you, church. Have an amazing week. I hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.